Volume Two, Chapter Four of A Charming Fellow. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Charming Fellow by Francis Eleanor Trollope. Volume Two, Chapter Four. Time passed, or seemed to pass, with unusual gentleness over Whitford. If some of our acquaintances there had suddenly been called upon to mention the changes that had taken place within two years, they would perhaps have said at first that there had been none but changes there had been nevertheless and by a few dwellers in the little town they had been keenly felt the second summer vacation after that happy holiday time which rhoda had passed with the erringtons at lanryden arrived a hot july winged with thunder-clouds brooded over the meadows by the wit the shadow of pudcombe woods was pleasant in the sultry afternoons and the cattle stood for hours knee-deep in dark pools overhung by drooping boughs the great schoolroom at the grammar school resounded no more with the tread of young feet or the murmur of young voices it was empty and silent and dusty and an overgrown spider had thrown his grey tapestry right across the oriel window so that it was painted warp and woof with brave purple and ruby blazonries from the old stained glass dr bodkin and his family were away at a seaside place in the south of england mr diamond had gone on a solitary excursion afoot even pudcombe hall was deserted although young Pawkins was expected to return thither later in the season for the shooting. Rhoda Maxfield had been sent to her half-brother Seth at Duckwell Farm to get strong and sunburned, and as she was allowed to be by herself almost as much as she wished, Mrs. Seth Maxfield being a bustling active woman, who would not have thought of suspending or modifying her daily avocations for the sake of entertaining any visitor whatever, Rhoda spent her time not unhappily in a sort of continuous daydream, sitting with a book of poetry under a hedge in the hayfield or wandering with her little nephew seth maxfield the younger in pudcombe woods which were near her brother's farm she liked looking back better than looking forward perhaps and enacted in her imagination many a scene that had occurred at dear lanryden over and over again but still there were many times when she indulged in hopeful anticipations as to algy's return he had come back to london after his foreign travel and had spent another brilliant season under the patronage of his great relations and then a rumour had reached Whitford that Lord Seely had at length obtained the promise of a good post for him, and that he might be expected to revisit Whitford in the autumn at latest. Mrs. Errington had been invited to a country house of Lord Seely's in Westmoreland to meet her son, and had set out on her visit in high spirits. Rhoda was thus cut off from hearing frequently of Algernon through his mother, but she looked forward to seeing them together in September. Rhoda missed her friend and patroness, but she missed her less at Duckwell than she would have done in the dull house in the high street. On the whole, she was not unhappy during these sultry summer weeks. Modest and humble-minded as she was, she had come to understand that she was considered pretty and pleasing by the ladies and gentlemen whose acquaintance she had made. No caressing words, no flattering epithets, no pet names had been bestowed upon her by her father's old friends and companions. She was just simply Rhoda Maxfield to them, never Primrose or Pretty One or Rhoda Dear. And the Methodists, however blind to her attractive qualities, had displayed considerable vigilance in pointing out her backsliding, and exhorting her to make every effort to become convinced of sin. Certainly the society of ladies and gentlemen was infinitely more agreeable. Then, too, there had dawned on her some idea that Mr. Diamond felt a warm admiration for her, perhaps something even warmer than admiration. Miss Chubb, who delighted to foster any amatory sentiments which she might observe in the young persons around her, and was fond of saying, with a languishing droop of her plump, rubicund, good-humoured countenance, that she would not for the world see other young hearts blighted by early disappointment, as hers had been, had dropped several hints to that effect sufficiently broad to be understood even by the bashful Rhoda, 
and a little to her own surprise rhoda had felt something like gratification in consequence mr diamond was such a very clever gentleman although he wasn't rich yet everybody thought a great deal of him even dr bodkin decidedly the most awful embodiment of authority whom rhoda had ever yet known treated mr diamond with consideration and miss minnie was his intimate friend rhoda had not the least idea of ever reciprocating mr diamond's sentiments but she could not help feeling that the existence of those sentiments increased her own importance in the world and she had a lurking idea that it might if known to algy increase her importance in his eyes also as to mr diamond's part in the matter rhoda to say truth concerned herself very little with that partly from a humble estimate of herself and partly from that maiden incapacity for conceiving the fire and force of a masculine passion which often makes girls pass for cruel who are only childish she never had thought of mr diamond as seriously suffering for her sake but yet she was less cold and repellent to him than she had once been it is difficult not to thaw somewhat in the presence of one whose words and looks make a genial atmosphere for that sensitive plant youthful vanity rhoda's wardrobe which by this time had become considerable in quantity and tasteful in quality was a great source of amusement to her she delighted to trim and stitch and alter and busy her fingers with the manufacture of bright-coloured bows of ribbon and dainty muslin frills mrs seth looked contemptuous at what she called rhoda's finery and told her she would never do for a farmer's wife if she spent so much time over a parcel of frippery seth maxfield shook his head gravely and hoped that rhoda was not given up utterly to worldliness and vanity but feared that she had learnt no good at st chad's church but had greatly backslided since the days of her attendance at chapel for the seth maxfields still belonged to the wesleyan connection and disapproved of the change that had taken place among the family at whitford not that seth was a deeply religious man but his father's desertion of the wesleyans appeared to him in the light of a party defection it was ratting and ratting as seth thought without excuse of a bribe look how well father has prospered he would say to his wife he's as warm a man as father as e'er a one in whitford and the church folks bought their tea and sugar of him all the same when he belonged to the society but i don't believe the society will spend their money with him now as they did so that's so much clean lost i'm not so strict as some myself nor i don't see the use of it but i do think a man ought to stick to what he's been brought up to especially when it's had the manifest blessing of providence if the lord was so well satisfied with father being a wesleyan i think father might have been satisfied too still there had been no quarrel between the whitford maxfields and those of duckwell they came together so seldom that opportunities for quarrelling were rare and seth had too great a respect for such manifestations of providential approbation as had been vouchsafed to his father to be willing to break entirely with the old man so when old max proposed to send rhoda to the farm for a few weeks he paying a weekly stipend for her board his son and his son's wife had at once agreed to the proposition and as they were not persons who brought their religious theories into the practical service of daily life rhoda's conscience was not disturbed by having a high and stern standard of duty held up for her attainment at every moment the wesleyan preacher at that time in the district was a frequent guest at duckwell farm and in the long summer evenings one or two neighbours would occasionally drop into the cool stone-flagged parlour where brother jackson would read a chapter and offer up a prayer and afterwards there would be smoking of pipes and drinking of home-brewed by the men while mrs seth and rhoda would sit on a bench in the apple orchard near to the open window of the parlour and sew and talk or listen to the conversation from within as they pleased rhoda perceived quickly enough that the duckwell farm species of methodism was very different from the methodism of david powell mr jackson never said anything to frighten her 
he talked indeed of sin and of the dangers that beset sinners but he never spoke as if they were real to him as if he heard and saw all the terrible things he discoursed of so glibly then mr jackson was rhoda thought a somewhat greedy eater he did not smoke it was true but he took a good share of seth's strong ale and was not above indulging in gossip perhaps to please himself perhaps to please mrs seth maxfield rhoda drew a comparison in her own mind between brother jackson and the stately rector of st chad's and felt much satisfaction at the contrast between them how much nicer it was to be a member of a church of england congregation where one heard dr bodkin or mr warlock speak a not too long discourse in correct english and with that refined accent which rhoda's ear had learned to prize and where the mellow old organ made a quivering atmosphere of music that seemed to mingle with the light from the painted windows than to sit on a deal bench in a whitewashed chapel and painfully keep oneself broad awake whilst brother jackson or brother hinks bawled out a series of disjointed sentences beginning with oh and displaying a plentiful lack of aspirates on the whole perhaps her stay at duckwell farm was a potent agent in confirming rhoda in orthodox views of religion generally as she sat beside mrs seth in the parlour or on the bench outside the window rhoda withdrew her attention from the talk of brother jackson and the others she could think her own thoughts and dream her own dreams whilst she was knitting a stocking or hemming a pinafore for little seth but sometimes a name was mentioned at these meetings that she could not hear with indifference it was the name of david powell the tone in which he was spoken of now was very opposite to the chorus of praise which had accompanied every mention of him among the whitford methodists two years ago there were rumours that he defied the authority of conference and intended to secede from the society he was said to have been preaching strange doctrine in the remote part of wales and to have caused and encouraged extravagant manifestations such as were known to have prevailed at the preachings of berridge and hicks seventy or eighty years ago and earlier still at the first open-air sermons of john wesley himself at bristol brother jackson shook his head and pursed up his lips at the rumours he had never much approved of powell and seth maxfield had distinctly disapproved of him seth had been brought up in the old sleepy days when members of the society in whitford were comfortably undisturbed by the voice of an awakening preacher he had resented the fuss that had been made about david powell he had been still more annoyed by his father's secession which he attributed to powell's overzeal and presumption and he by his own example encouraged a hostile and critical tone in speaking of the preacher there was indeed but one voice raised in his defence in the parlour at duckwell farm this was the voice of richard gibbs the head groom at pudcombe hall who sometimes came over to duckwell to join in the prayer-meetings there although richard gibbs was but a servant he was a trusted and valued one and he was received by the farmer and his wife with considerable civility richard knew his place as mrs seth said and was not one of them as if you give em an inch they'll take an ell and then he had considerable knowledge of farriery and had more than once given good advice to farmer maxfield respecting the treatment of sick horses and cattle seth was fond of repeating that he himself was not so strict as some finding indeed that a reputation for strictness in a methodistical sense put him at a disadvantage with his fellow-farmers on market-days but whenever richard gibbs was spoken of he would add to this general disclaimer of peculiar piety on his own part not mind you but what there's summer's conversion does a wonderful deal for to this day thanks be why there's dicky gibbs head groom at pudcombe hall talk of blasphemers well dicky was a blasphemer and now his lips are as pure from evil speaking as my little maid's there and he's the only one i ever knew as had to do with horses that wouldn't tell you a lie at first i believe there was some at the hall i name no names didn't like dicky's plain truths 
there was a carriage horse to be sold and dicky spoke out and told this and that and young master couldn't get his price but in the long run it answers oh i'm not against a fervent conversion nor yet against conviction of sin for some so richard gibbs sat many a summer evening in the flagged parlour at duckwell farm and his melancholy clean-shaven lantern-jawed face was a familiar spectacle at prayer meetings there i have been much grieved and exercised in spirit on behalf of brother powell said mr jackson in his thick voice the expounding and the prayers were over seth had lighted his pipe so had roger heath the baker from pudcombe village a great cool jug of ale stood on the table and the setting sun sent his rays into the room tempered by a screen of jessamine and vine leaves that hung down outside the window ah and reason too said seth gruffly he's been getting further and further out of the right furrow this many a day they do say observed sour-faced roger heath that there's dreadful scenes with them poor welsh at his field preachings men and women stricken down like bullocks and screechings and convulsions like as if they was all possessed with the devil lark cried mrs seth eagerly why how is that then rhoda listening outside behind the screen of vine leaves at the open window could not repress a shudder at the thought that had david powell shown this new power of his a year or two ago she herself might have been among the convulsed who bore testimony to his terrible influence how is that mrs maxfield returned richard gibbs why how can it be excepting by abounding grace nay mr gibbs but how dreadful it seems don't it just think of falling down in a fit in the open field just think of living and dying unawakened to sin is not that a hundred times more dreadful i hope it don't need to roll about like bedlamites to be awakened to a sense of sin mr gibbs cried seth maxfield the lord forbid ejaculated brother jackson a likely tale added mrs seth cheerfully i'm against all such doings said roger heath shaking his head but if it be the lord's doing sir remonstrated richard gibbs speaking slowly and with an anxious lack-lustre gaze at the whitewashed ceiling as though counsel might be read there and i've heard tell that john wesley did the same at his field preachings brother jackson hastily wiped his mouth after a deep draught of ale before replying that was in the beginning when such things may have been needful but now i fear they only bring scandal upon us and strengthen scoffers i'll tell you what it is said seth taking the pipe from his mouth and waving it up and down to emphasize his words it's my opinion as david powell's not quite not quite right in his head tain't the first time that thought has crossed my mind said the baker who had once upon a time been uneasy under the yoke of powell's stern views as to weights and measures of course pursued seth argumentatively we've got to draw a line religion is one thing and rampaging is another from the first when powell began rampaging i mistrusted what it would come to the human brain is a very delicate and mysterious organ said brother jackson ah ejaculated heath with an air of profundity as of one the extent of whose acquaintance with the human brain was not easily to be set forth in words you may well say so sir there you're right indeed brother jackson why there it is cried seth and powell he overtaxed the human brain it's like flying in the face of providence almost to want to go so much beyond your neighbours why he'd fast till he well-nigh starved himself but he gave all he spared from his own stomach to the poor put in gibbs looking sad and perplexed i call all that rampaging returned seth with a touch of his father's obstinacy dr evans read out an account of these things in wales from a newspaper in mr barker the chemist's shop in whitford last saturday said heath 
i heard it and dr evans said it was catching and that such like excitement was dangerous for you never know where it might end and dr evans is of a welsh family himself he added bringing out this clause as though it strikingly illustrated or elucidated the topic under discussion mrs seth drew her little boy close to her and covered his curly poll with her large maternal hand as though to protect the little human brain within from all dangers mercy me she said i hope power won't come into these parts any more i should be frightened to go to chapel or to let the children go either oh you need not be alarmed mrs maxfield said brother jackson with a superior smile nay but if it is catching mr jackson persisted the anxious mother tot lass it didn't like measles said her husband the ale being by this time exhausted and the pipes smoked out brother jackson rose to depart and the baker went away with him seth maxfield detained gibbs for a few minutes to ask his advice about a favourite cart-horse well mr gibbs said the housewife when the conference being over he bade her good evening and when are your folks coming back to the hall not just yet marm young master is gone to westmoreland i hear to a wedding at some nobleman's house there he'll be back at pudcombe for the shooting a wedding eh said mrs seth with eager feminine interest in the topic not his own wedding i suppose oh no ma'am tis some friend of his i believe that he knew at whitford erringham i think the name is a young gentleman that's going to marry the nobleman's niece the housekeeper at the hall was telling some of my fellow-servants about it the other day but i'm ill at remembering the chat i hear and tis unprofitable work too good evening ma'am farewell seth stooping down to pat the little one's curly head may the lord bless and keep you mrs seth stood out in the apple orchard with two of her children clinging to her skirts and held up her hand to shade her eyes as she watched the departing figure of richard gibbs moving across the meadow in the rosy evening light then she turned to the wooden bench where rhoda was sitting huddled together with her work lying in her lap you didn't come in to prayers rhoda said her sister-in-law but however you can hear it all just as well outside as in if it wasn't for civility to mr jackson i'd liefer stay out there in these fine summer evenings myself and i was thinking my child what a white face you've got like a sheet of white paper for all the world and your hands are quite cold though it's been downright sultry mercy me don't go and get sick on our hands rhoda what will your father say come you'd best get to bed and i'll make you a hot posset myself rhoda passively followed her sister-in-law to the fresh lavender-scented chamber which she occupied and she consented to go to bed at once her head ached she said but she declined the hot posset and only asked to be left quiet there's always some bother with girls of that delicate sort said mrs seth to her husband when she went downstairs again rhoda's mother was just such another looked as if you might blow her away i can't think whatever made your father marry her not but rhoda's a nice-tempered girl enough and very patient with the children but you know seth i'm afraid she's got a chill or something sitting out in the orchard so late what makes you think so well she had a queer scared kind of look on her face nonsense catching cold don't make people look scared something made her look scared i tell you it's either she's sickening for some fever or else she's seen a ghost End of chapter four